Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to Episode 3 of Everyday Buddhism. You know, I think I packed Episode 2 with too many concepts. I have this image of listeners mumbling or even shouting, Arrgh! Just what I thought. Buddhism is a lot of mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. Sorry about that, and it can seem like that for sure. So maybe I wasn't skillful in putting everything together in episode two. So let's start unpacking some of the things in this episode. And if we need more unpacking, I promise to stretch it out over multiple episodes instead of trying to cram everything in on sort of one breath in one show. We're going to start with the concept of no self or anatta, as I discussed in episode two. Anatta is one of the three marks of existence as they refer to it in Buddhism. The three marks are impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, or suffering, which we we talked about in the last episode, which is dukkha, and no-self or non-self. The three characteristics are detailed in the Dhammapada, and they are the primary, what would you say, contributors to the things we humans get confused about in our lives. And I explained much of that in the last podcast. This is the conditioned existence I kept referring to in episode two. And, you know, afterwards, I thought that maybe, you know, conditioned existence didn't really make a lot of sense. The the trick to conditioned existence is that's what our lives are made of. They're made of certain conditions. You know, we exist, of course, but so that's the existence part, but The conditions part is that our life, our very existence, has conditions on it. Just like a lease or a rent or a purchase agreement. Everything's got conditions. So our lives do too. You know, you've been born into an existence that has the conditions of impermanence, some dissatisfaction or more than a little bit, and a self that's a bit elusive. It's not really no self, like there's nothing here, right? I'm If I walk, walk across this room and try to walk through the wall, that's not going to happen. I'm a self. I've got a body. I've got form. We talked about that. And yeah, I'm here. So I have a self, but it's not the self I think it is. So who are we? And I did play with this a bit in the last episode, but the concept is very slippery. One thing I can guarantee about learning about Buddhism is just when you think you've got a hold of one of these concepts, poof, it slips away like a greased pig. That slippery self, she ain't what you think she is. So a quick exercise for you. Tell me. Who is yourself? Okay, do you have an answer? Did you say your name? Did you say your occupation or your job title? Did you say your gender? 
Did you say your relationship status, as in mother, sister, father, son? Did you say that you are a human? It's curious, isn't it? You really can't point to one single thing that is your core existence. The one single thing that would never change. All those other things, so, you know, your gender, your job, your, your particular relationship status, that will change. Well, these are changing parts of you. It's kind of like pointing to the tires of a car or the steering wheel or the speedometer as the definition of a car or pointing to a Mazda and saying that is the definition of a car. But then what about a Buick? I think most people start with either, in, in, in answering that question, they'll either start with, okay, I'm an engineer or I'm a salesperson. Or they'll start by describing their relationships. You know, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I, I, I'm a son. Or they might start describing their personality like uh, I'm shy or I'm an extrovert. Or their body type like I'm tall or thin or blonde with blue eyes. But none of these things are who we are all the time, permanently. If that was so, then you as a child would not be you really. Now, would she? Because if she was you as a child, then who are you now? That's the rub. There isn't one non-shifting thing that is you. And that is the concept of no self. In talking to people about Buddhism or in talking with my coaching clients, you know, one thing that always stands out as a primary culprit in keeping people sort of stuck or miserable is that they have a firm identification with some me or some self that they think they are. And over the course of my life, and by no means am I in the all clear, because I have been many people, and each time I hung on to one of them as me, each time I did that and saw that one singular self or clung to that self as me, I created my own little hells. When I was a teen, I had a poetry me, a righteous indignation me, a reject everything and anything me. As I got older, I stepped into sort of an accomplishment-driven type persona that was me, but it was the disguise for the wounds of being gay in a world not ready to accept us openly, and the wounds of some bad relationships or and some resentments held from childhood. And this me led me to another me, sort of a chronically ill me who fought the pervasive culture of wearing illness as another self to identify, and ultimately led me to plunging headfirst into the study of Buddhism, which was also led by the achievement-oriented or achievement-driven me that still hangs around me sometimes. So the longer I studied and tried to achieve in Buddhism, the more confused I got. It was only when I stopped grabbing at it that it began to help. But that's a story for another podcast. 
So let's talk about all these little me's. Dare I say mini-me's? Or me's, like little Wii avatars? You know, the game Wii? All the me's we cling to are just about as real as those little cartoon graphics. Like parts of my personal story, we've got wounded me's, wronged me's, sick me's, trapped me's, fired me's, unemployed me's, so many me's, so much suffering. Sunata Tagaki said this in her article, If There Is No Self Then Who Is Sitting Here, from Wild Mind. She wrote, we're like rivers. If you stood on a bank and watched a river, the water molecules passing by now would be different from what passed by a moment ago. You've heard that. That's kind of like a Zen phrase. You can't step in the same river twice. But then she goes on to say, so how can you say it's the same river? Giving it a fixed name and a fixed identity, like in our area, the Genesee River, is just a convention that humans come up with so we can actually talk about it with each other. But the whole idea in and of itself is fiction. The problem is that as soon as we attach labels and concepts onto, onto something, she says, our egos kick in and start objectifying it, objectifying it, nailing it down, and spinning off stories to make something permanent out of it. In a translation and commentary on the Heart Sutra, a smaller part of the Prajnaparamita Sutra, which I think I referred to in the last episode, but anyway, in his commentary on the Heart Sutra, Reverend Gyome Kabose, who, by the way, is the father of my sensei, Reverend Koyo Kabose of the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism, where I was inducted as a lay minister and sensei. Gyome Kabose Sensei explains it as, we want to put a period on everything. In other words, we want to stop it. We want to fix it. As in, that's it. That's all. In Titnat Han's commentary, The Heart of Understanding, also commentary on the Heart Sutra, He explains it this way. Knowledge is an obstacle for understanding. If we take something to be the truth, we cling to it so much that even if the truth comes and knocks at our door, we will not let it in. Wow, that is true, isn't it? We want to put everything in neat little boxes so we can say, now I have it. Life is like this. And I'm like this, and you're like that, and it will never change. I do this too, of course. So I feel perfectly okay in saying it's kind of stupid, isn't it? No wonder we're so muddled. As I mentioned before, that's what I see with my coaching clients. When people start firmly identifying with some me or some self they think they are, then they have created their own prison. As Tagaki wrote, they, may, they make some part of their life, one of their me's, permanent. And guess what results from that? There's no way out. If that me is miserable, formed by a story of who I should be, or who I was before but I'm not now, or any other fantasy, then I have created my own suffering my own hell. 
because that is all I'll see. If someone plops a label on their shirt and says, chronically ill, victim, old and useless, then of course they respond accordingly and it becomes a permanent condition. But the good news here is remember, there are no permanent conditions. You have a wonderful thing called a conditioned existence and one of those conditions is that nothing in fact is permanent. So rip that label off that shirt. Quit repeating the same stories and see what's happening to you right now at this very moment. You know, even chronic illness takes a day or an hour or a minute off once in, once in a while. But if we are busy listening to our thoughts tell us stories about how sick we will be tomorrow, well, that happy and feeling good self will slip away. In Gyome Kabose Sensei's Heart Sutra commentary, he also added, So every day, from morning to night, one thing after another. This seems simple, but it is the simplest things that can sometimes have the biggest impact. And that line has had a huge impact on my life. I use that line as a mantra. Every day from morning to night, one thing after another. It's to remind myself to wake up to what is happening right now and get out of the plans or endless story repeats that keep my own awareness kidnapped by my thoughts stuck in my head. This is the muddled confused thinking that causes suffering or dissatisfaction to continue because we're not seeing what's happening at this very moment. We're not seeing clearly. When we put on our victim, ill, old, or useless glasses, we've lost our ability to see clear. We've lost our ability to see things as they are from minute to minute. It is in rare, clear-seeing minutes that the stories we tell ourselves will fade and things naturally brighten. This is why mindfulness or meditation is so important to your being happy or at least content. Now, this is not really to imply that I am advocating like magical thinking, not in the least. You may have a chronic illness. You may in fact be getting older. You may have been victimized, but what's going on right now? And I'm also not telling you to adopt a passive I give up attitude to life, but really it's just an opening up to what is happening at the moment by not clinging to what you think it is or what you think they are or what you think you are. You know, I'm currently reading the book, Don't Be a Jerk and Other Practical Advice by Dogen, from Dogen, Japan's Greatest Zen Master. It was written by Brad Warner, who's one of my favorite Buddhist writers. He's a Soto Zen monk, also a, a, a punk rock guitarist, and he actually grew up near me in, Akron, Ohio, in the Akron, Ohio area, but 11 years my junior. So we didn't really bump into each other. But in it, he describes his first thoughts about 
what no self seemed like to him. He said, my initial forays went something like this. I figured I had a self, that it was my job to eradicate it in order to feel happier and more peaceful. My understanding of self was that it included my personal jumble of likes and dislikes, attitudes, ideals, personal history, beliefs, habits, hobbies, so on. So I figured I had to somehow get rid of all that and become a clean, blank slate. If I could just whitewash everything I considered to be me, I would be rid of self, and then maybe I'd stop being such a wreck all the time. <laughs> but you can't make yourself a clean, blank slate any more than you can make your mind a clean, blank slate when meditating. You know, this is... These are probably the two biggest misconceptions about Buddhism. What happens is you make yourself less obtrusive into everyday experience, into the awareness of what's happening, and instead just be what's happening. Not, I am doing this and this is what's happening, but this is what's happening. So instead of holding on to you and how you see what's not you out there, you just stand and be part of the experience. You know, as paraphrased by Brad Warner, Dogen wrote that to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be experienced by the zillions of things. When experienced by the zillions of things, our own body and mind drop away. So here's a neat Buddhist tip or trick to try. I promised you tips and tricks, so I'm going to give you a little practice. A quick and painless meditation practice I found in the Elephant Journal, as shared by Joseph Goldstein, who some of you know might, might know as the co-founder and guiding teacher of Insight Meditation Society's retreat center and forest refuge programs, and also the author of A Heart Full of Peace, Insight Meditation, One Dharma, and others. So this, this practice that he suggests to do is a bit like another mindfulness practice from the unified mindfulness technique that I practice and that I hopefully will share with you in a future episode and even more hopefully have a spokesman from Spokesperson from Unified Mindfulness join me on the podcast. So anyway, Joseph Goldstein suggests a three-part short meditation practice with each part being three minutes long. So add it up, only nine minutes. I think you can do it. So session one, he refers to as who is knowing. In this first session, he says you just sit and listen to the sounds around you whether in a noisy room, with street noises or people talking, or in a quiet room, or in the woods. But just relax and be aware of all the different sounds you hear. Then ask yourself, who is knowing these sounds? Yep, you're aware of them, but who or what knows them? Keep investigating, being curious, and you will see that there was no one that knows the sounds. The awareness, it's just there. It's just hearing. 
but there is no I hearing. Session two, another three minutes, is working with attachment to the body. Now in this session, take a walk. Just take a walk and be aware that your body is moving. Notice the experience of pressure on the bottom of your foot or at some place on the top of your foot where your shoes touch or the motion of your feet lifting, your legs lifting, the lightness of your body or the heaviness of the body, whatever you feel when you're walking. Continue doing that and notice that you are aware of the sensations and aware of the walking but not necessarily aware of the body walking or that there is an eye doing the walking. You might even begin to feel your body as energy, a fluid movement of walking without the notion of I am walking. Now session three is about identification with your thoughts. For the third three minute session, Simply watch your thoughts coming and going, arising and vanishing. This is like what you might be aware of in meditation. But there is another little trick to this one. And that is being poised to notice exactly when a thought arises and exactly when it fades away. Like a cat at a mouse hole. Try to be that aware. Try to catch it. The longer you do that, the more you will notice that there is no you. There is no identification with those thoughts. They just pop up like a bubble on a stream and either float away or pop and disappear. You know, I'm confident this three-session exercise will help you see how elusive you are. Where are you in the sounds, in the feeling of a walk? or in the drifting of thoughts. These things are happening, but to who? Or are they just happening? And how peaceful is that to just let these experience, this awareness, happen without any direction from you? It's just happening. Hearing is just happening. Feeling is just happening. Thinking is just happening. You're just being a part of the zillions of things and your body and mind effortlessly drops away, at least for a few minutes. So try this practice out and let me know how it worked or let me know if you had any questions. So that's it for this podcast episode. I'm giving you back about 10 minutes or so I grabbed from you in the last episode. Thank you for listening. As always, and please feel free to leave comments on my website, everyday-buddhism.com, or send me an email at wendyshinyo at everyday-buddhism.com with questions or to suggest subjects you'd like me to cover in upcoming podcasts. And I promise I'll do my best. And if you liked what you heard so far, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use And take a minute to review the podcast so more people can find out about it. Thanks again, and until next time, keep making your everydays better.